Welcome to the Christ Life Ministries podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Olubi Johnson. For more information about this podcast and our other resources, please visit spcconline.org. God bless you. Father, we worship and honor you as we've done with our hearts and our offerings. We thank you for your presence in our midst. So close, we believe you're holding us now. As we go into the word, we ask the same unction and anointing go with us into the word to open up the word, open our hearts. Open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Anoint me afresh. Help me speak indeed as I should as an oracle of God. Then put the same unction and anointing upon the ears and the hearts of all who will hear me. Those who are physically present here as well as those who will be hearing me remotely electronically. So that your word will flow freely from you through me to your people to do an internal and eternal work in each of our hearts, including mine, in particular, to cause our wills to become more humble, minds to be more enlightened with revelation knowledge, emotions to be more tempered and controlled by the power of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Pray that as I speak, the power of the Spirit of God be released in great as well as in sufficient measure to back these words and follow them wherever they are heard and released in all the earth. Yes, power that will heal, power that will deliver, power that will break yokes, power that will free men so that they will become doers of these things that they hear and are hearers only. I also pray for mercy to be faithful, to deliver the word with precision, redeem the time, and say only what you want me to say. Bring out the treasure of this word, things new and old, as a scribe instructed unto the kingdom, in Jesus' wonderful name we pray. And all those in agreement with me, receiving every blessing mentioned in that prayer in their individual lives, all individually agreed and said, Today I have an instructional message. I've entitled God's faithfulness and integrity, in particular in commemoration of our 39th anniversary. My wife and I were going down memory lane when we started, we started in the sitting room of a house my friend and I rented in Ujuri, here, not too far from here, 39 years ago. There were just about five of us, I can't remember now, five, six of us, myself, my wife, Sister Bola Giadini, um, and, 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 and some others. My friend, uh, Wally Adekoya, uh, of blessed memory, was in from France because he was doing his PhD in France so he was on summer holidays he joined us I remember him going to put out all the um, signs you know from the Songo from the Ojuri Junction he put the signs scripture pasture you know and he was the one who encouraged me to say look these things are so things you're sharing that deep things make sure you get them written down 
and that has stood us in good stead all of these years. So today I want to just share with us about God's faithfulness and integrity. Faithfulness is one of the attributes of godliness or being like God. In fact, it is listed as one of the fruit of the Spirit. Um, it's, you know, if you look at the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, in verse 22, it says, And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness. Some translations say faith, but that's not what it says. It actually says faithfulness, meekness, self-control, and patience. Faithfulness is the virtue of being um, consistent, of being faithful to what you have promised and to what you have said. A faithful person is a reliable person. A faithful person is a person you can trust. And God is the epitome of faithfulness. And this character of faithfulness is what has sustained his covenant with men down through the centuries and the millennia since the creation of Adam 6,000 years ago in the Garden of Eden, where he did make a promise to Adam and Eve and to the devil. After they sinned and they fell, he said, the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. It didn't happen in a year. It didn't happen in 10 years. It didn't happen in 100 years. It did not happen in a 1,000 years. But God did not stop working. And finally, about 4,000 years after he made that commitment, made that statement, the Lord Jesus Christ was born of a virgin in Bethlehem in line with the prophetic scriptures. He grew up, became a man. He died on the cross for our sins, went to hell, and crushed the head of the serpent. Shall we give the Lord Jesus a clap offering? But it took 4,000 years. These things were written for our admonition so we can understand this issue of faithfulness. It didn't happen in a year. It didn't happen in 10 years. It didn't happen in 100 years. It didn't happen in 1,000 years. But God kept watching over that word to perform it. That is that virtue of faithfulness in operation. When God promises something, trust me, He watches over His word to perform it. He is a reliable person. And I think one of the problems that we've had as faith, word of faith people, and I'm a word of faith guy, so I'm not knocking the word of faith. Word of faith is very important, foundational, you know, is many times we reduce God to formulas and we forget we're dealing with a person. Now, it's not wrong. Formulas are not wrong. A formula is simply the outworking of some expression of a principle. And God does work by formulas. Yes, God is a God of principle. However, the power, the force that causes the formula or the principle to work emanates from a person. 
Therefore, when you're dealing with God, you have to deal with Him at two levels. You have to deal with Him on the personal level, and then you have to deal with Him on what I would call the technical level, which has to do with the formulas and the principles. It is true, God has, being a person with a physics background, I can tell you that, you know, there are spiritual laws, just like we have physical laws, you know, the laws of motion, the laws of Newton's laws of motion and all these laws in physics. They are equivalent laws in the realm of the spirit. God works. God is not a haphazard God. He, he, when he was going to create everything, he created them in a framework, a legal framework of legal law, then in a power framework of spiritual and physical laws. That is why every time you go into your car, you put ignition, it will go on. If you fare in an aeroplane and you obey the law of life, it will fly. If we didn't have laws, life would be haphazard. However, the difference between spiritual laws and physical laws is that if somebody, let me just use a funny example, if somebody quarreled with somebody, for example, you know, or was unforgiving, if he gets into an aeroplane and he cranks it up, you know, and he puts it, they will still fly. Because his moral and uh, spiritual condition has no effect on the, spirit, on, on the physical law. But it is not so in the spirit. If you are in unforgiveness or something, you know, and you are trying to operate the spiritual law, like speak God's word or pray in tongues or, or, or any of these uh, spiritual laws and, and the forces, the power that causes those laws to work will either be reduced or removed completely because the person who is releasing the power is not pleased with you. So that's the difference between a spiritual law and a physical law. This God we're serving is a person firstly. And then he operates by laws which are defined through his word. That is why we need to know our Bible. And once you understand that, you can then walk with God, like we saw in our Bible study, you know, we're talking, you know, was talking in Proverbs chapter 3. It says, you know, then you will sleep, your sleep will be sweet. The Lord will be your confidence and your foot will not be taken. You will be confident because you know who you're talk, dealing with. Like Paul says, he says, I know whom I have believed. I know. I know him. Then not only that do I know him as a person, I also know his laws. I know how they operate, you know. And as I'm operating, then I am sure of the end result, you know, that he has promised. And so, uh, let's just review the scriptures we're very familiar with. But uh, I can say these 39 years, you know, Everything God promised me, you know, he has been fulfilling. Now, not all of it has come to pass yet, but a great amount of it has come to pass. And I want you to tell you something. He did more than I could even ask or think. When I think back where I was, you know, 39 years ago when we started Scripture Pastor, and even before then, you know, when I was in England, you know, in 1980, which was 43 years ago, you know, and, uh, and and God was telling me to come back home. I was, I must be honest, I was apprehensive. 
But the little I knew, I, I had known him for some months, over a year. You know, the little I knew about him, I knew he was reliable and that he will help me. But I was really ready for anything. I must be honest with you. You know, I remember the devil telling me, oh, if you go back and you begin to preach this thing, I'm going to kill you. He actually told me that when I was in England. He said, remember Stephen? He said, do you have, you know, the, the devil knows the Bible better than you and I. There are many Christians. He said, remember Stephen was a man of great faith and power. He said, do you, do, can you imagine intimidating a young Christian? And what he said was the truth. He said, do you have as much faith as Stephen? I said, no. I had to be honest. He always was going inside my heart. He said, if I kill Stephen, what's going to stop me from killing you? Then I replied to him and said, well, yeah, maybe. I said, but I will die and go to heaven. He said, that's the end. I said, but I'm still going to do what God said. That's, that, I didn't know that scripture as well as I do now. But that was a manifestation of that uh, scripture. It says that they overcame him. You know, by the word of their test, by the blood of the lamb, the word of their, and they love that. I was ready to risk my life. And Satan was true to his word. I hadn't landed in Nigeria a few months. I was almost crushed by a trailer, you know, at the back of my car, the Volkswagen car my mother bought for me. And I was not the only one. And there was so, I mean, when I look back now, there were so many times he tried this, tried that, tried this, tried that, you know, but all through it, by the grace and the mercy of God, by which I was able to operate the spiritual laws, you know, I saw God's divine hand and protection. You know, he told me that, you know, I, you know, and spoke through human beings, you know, he said, you're going to suffer, you know, you're not going to have anything, all your mates are abroad, you know, they see how well they are doing and all of that. All that over these 43 39 to 43 years, if I count back to when I came back, you know, God has fulfilled. He's done more. He gave me a beautiful wife, children, a home. Far better than what I could have imagined at that time. God is faithful. I can testify. But we are not done yet. Not by Ginny Chin Chin. <laughs> what does Pastor Wally, you know, Mary Poppins, isn't that? You know, we're not, we're not, we're not done yet. No, far from it. Christianity is not just to have a nice house and you know have a nice car and you know, send your children to good schools. People are not Christians do that. You know, so that is that's not it. You know, there's something ahead of us, which is our inheriting of the Spirit without measure. That's why I really appreciate this song, Pastor Andrew and Choir's song in him, you know, written by great psalmist David Ingalls. And then Pastor Andrew went a step further and he began to quote the scriptures, telling us what we have in him. And one of the scriptures he mentioned, which I find very illuminating as well as inspiring, was that in whom we have an inheritance. Then he now defines that inheritance in verse 14. He says that in, after we believe we were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, then he uses this expression, which is the earnest of the inheritance. The word earnest there is an old English word. It means deposit. 
or down payment. It's not the full inheritance. And then you see this in the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus has the Holy Spirit from, 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 from the womb. He says, talking to Mary, the angel Gabriel said, he says, how shall these things be? He says, the Holy Ghost will come upon you. And the power of the Most High shall overshadow you. Therefore, that holy thing which shall be born in you shall be called the Son of God. The, well, Jesus had the Holy Spirit from, from, from birth. You know, um, when he was 12, the Bible says he, 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 he answered the questions of the scribes and the Pharisees in the temple. They were stunned, but he didn't have the Spirit without measure. He didn't get it until he was 30 years old. The Bible says the Spirit came upon him, but the Spirit was already upon him. So, if you put all those scriptures together, that means that he had a greater measure. He had the Holy Spirit before, but he came in him in greater measure. And the same thing the Bible promises us. This has not yet been fulfilled. It is what we're looking to. In um, Malachi chapter 3, where it says, The Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come to his temple. He's already in his temple. <laughs> we are Christ is already in us. So, he's not talking about... You know, he, just like Jesus had the Holy Spirit, he's talking about he's going to come in us with that spirit without measure, that fullness. Now, that is ahead of us. And the God who has been faithful these 39 years and has kept us and has preserved us and has provided for us, you know, when by the grace and the mercy of God, we did not play the games that a lot of the other people played. You know, uh, we didn't do all of the, we didn't do a lot of those things. You know, try and get people money and you know things like that. We didn't do all of that. We've just stayed by the grace and the mercy of God on what you would call the straight and the narrow way. The Bible says it is tight, it is constrained. It says very few are those who go through it. You know, and um, but it's the path that leads to life. And by the grace of God, that's the path we've gone on. And in spite of that, you know, God has blessed us. You know, nobody can see us and say, oh, um, um, God has not blessed them. In fact, many people think I'm much richer than I am. <laughs> and I am. I'm, God has blessed me. My wife and I, God has blessed us to a great degree. But it all came by the mercy of God, the favor of God, the wisdom of God, these things that we teach and preach, you know. But it didn't come by, you know, um, uh, gimmicks and that are very common today. You know, uh, you see, the, one of the reasons why, I, I don't want to digress, you know, but I will mention it. You know, why people go into the things they go into is because they see that's the only way they can make money. It's one of the reasons for branches, denominations, they say they're doing it to... Um, spread the gospel. But the real truth is that, yes, there's a lot of outreach, and we thank God for that, and we don't pull it down, you know. But a lot of it is because if you don't have the numbers, you won't get the money. It's just really as simple as that, you know. Whereas, if you look at the Bible, you'll see that, yes, God wants us to have the numbers, but He also wants us to have the quality. And then on top of that, uh, probably more importantly, uh, the, 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 the wealth he gives us is to be created by wisdom. Not necessarily by numbers. And that's why Paul is the per, um, 
pattern disciple. And you see him have what is known as a tent, what we call today, generally speaking, a tent ministry. He said, Paul was very rich, but he wasn't too rich. He was, he was rich spiritually, and he was rich financially too, but not, he was not uh, opulent. The same thing with the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, these are our patterns. See, Jesus, Jesus was very rich. He had a treasurer. He had people who followed him and ministered unto him. But he didn't live a life of luxury and opulence. He never owned a house. He said, the Son of Man has nowhere to, to lay his head. Of course, he had places where he slept. He slept in Lazarus' house. He slept in Peter's house. But he didn't have a personal house. What's the point of a personal house when you're going to die in three years? <laughs> didn't make any sense, you know? Uh, so he, but he had, he had the resources. He got a fish to get a gold coin to pay his tax as a very rich man. Give him a clap offering somebody. But he chose not to live a uh, extravagant is the word, lifestyle. He lived a simple life, even though he could afford to have lived a much more you know, extravagant and comfortable life. The same thing with Paul. And then Paul makes this boast in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And he says that, you know, uh, and in, in the book of Acts, he said, these hands have labored not only for myself, but also for the people who are around me. And he said, he now told them, he said, look, you know, nobody will stop me of this boasting in the regions of Achaia. He said, I didn't take a penny from you and I'm not going to. Now, he took offerings from others like the Philippians. And, but in, in Corinth, he'd refused to take the money. You know, so that other people who are boasting, they let them to match our example. Let's see whether they're preaching this thing for money, whether they're preaching it for, you know, for the right, for the right reasons. And so, these are the patterns of the people we're following. We're following the Lord Jesus. We're following the Apostle Paul. And this faithful God. Look at Numbers chapter 23. Scripture we're all or should all be familiar with. If you're not familiar with it, get familiar with it. It says, God is not a man. Everybody read out after me. Like I told you during the Bible study, open your mouth. Spiritual law. Some people are lazy to open their mouths. They, when, when they're watching football or something, their, their mouth will go wide open. When it comes to the Bible, as if they can't talk. God is not a man. Uh -huh, that's better. Now I'm hearing you. God is not a man that he should lie. Now the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Has he spoken, and shall he not make it good? This is a statement of God's faithfulness. And to, I'm going to paraphrase it a little bit so you can get the spirit behind it. He, he, he's contrasting God and man. What's the difference between God and man? Well, man does not have the wisdom of God. Man does not have the ability and the power of God. So, and then man, fallen man, who is not born again, and even the ones who are born again, does not have the faithfulness of God. Does not have the integrity of God. So in those three areas, man falls far below God's standard. So he said, 
this person you're dealing with is not a man like you and I. Men are limited in their faithfulness. You know, they are limited in their wisdom. They are limited in their power or ability or resources. But God's not limited. So it says, God is not a man that he should lie. His integrity, his, his character. But number two, he is neither the son of man that he should repent. What that means is this. God is not the kind of person who will give a promise and say, ah, I shouldn't have said that to, you know, maybe I will not be able to do it. That's what it means by repent in that context. He's not talking about repent. God doesn't sin. He's not talking about repentance from sin. He says, God, is, he, he does he does not regret his promises out of the fear or, yeah, I can use that expression, you know, out of his, ah, oh my God, if I had known, I wouldn't have said that because I don't have the resources, you know, I didn't know this was going to happen. Look at what has happened. Now, I can't meet up with this. Has that happened to all of us? It's happened to every single one of us. What's wrong with you? Put your hand up so you won't go to hell. The Bible says all liars shall praise the Lord. I'm joking. You know, seriously, you know, we are, every single one of us here has repented at one time or the other of some promise you made to people because some circumstance and situation came up that you did not foresee. And when it came up, you now say, oh, you may not tell them, but in your heart, you say, oh, if I had known, I would not have said that because I, I, now it would be difficult for me. Sometimes you go ahead and do it you know, out of great price to yourself. Sometimes you're not able to do it and you have to go and apologize. God doesn't apologize. Give him a clap offering. He's not a man that he will lie. He's a person of integrity. Number two, he's a person of wisdom and ability. He does not repent either. Once he says it, and the thing, the difference between God and man is that man opens his mouth carelessly. But God thinks through what he's going to say before he says it. The Bible says the word of God is refined seven times like silver. By the time God says something, he has thought it through. And he knows whether it is now or in 4,000 years or in 6,000 years, he's going to get it done. He doesn't open his mouth carelessly like you and I. Like the other day I was preaching and teaching that we are living in the implementation of a simulation. God has already thought through. That's what you call, in the computer language, we call it a simulation. When you want to do something like all these things, don't mind them. All these things they are doing, James Webb, Telescope, and all the pictures they are showing you, many of them are simulations. Now, they do get the data from outer space. Don't misunderstand me. They get the data. You know, you know they use infrared. Then, because it can see through dust, you know, and all of that. And they use heat signatures. Then they use what we call spectroscopy. By looking at the wavelength of, uh, of something, you can tell, you know, that, you know, this is blue. This one is, you know, by, 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 by measuring, you use what we call a spectrometer to measure the wavelength. So with all that information, you can have uh, a, a picture uh, of, of, of what is releasing the waves that the, um, the telescope is seeing. So all that is real. 
But the part that they have to do now is that because it's all in the infrared region, they will now add colors and things to it, you know, in proportion to the data that they have to give you the picture you're seeing. You know? So some of it is not, is not the actual image. It is a simulation of it. And then when they tell you, oh, this is going to be 20, 20 million light years and all of that, all that information comes from calculations, which are simulations based on physics formulas which they have found to work. So that you put in the data, then you now run the uh, uh, set of equations you know, in a computer program, and then the computer now begins to show you how the thing would evolve, like, you know, from the, from the so-called Big Bang and how the universe, you know, so you can see a lot of, most, all of it is simulation. And some of it is very accurate. I'm not knocking it. But what I'm trying to say is that what God does is that before God did anything, before he even made angels, before he made anything, the first thing he said, he first of all set, number one, the legal framework on which everything will all, including himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He did not leave himself out. That's why the Bible says he has magnified his word above his name. God himself is bound by his own laws. Number two, after he set the legal framework, he now set what you might call the power framework. How this thing is going to work out. What he will do. The Bible says, known to God are his works from the foundation of the world. Then he now puts in parameters that are um, conditional. So he will now tell man, if you do this, I will do this, and this will be the result. If you do this, I will do this, and this will be the result. So he now puts all of that into this big simulation in his mind and runs it. Runs it to go 5,000 years, 10,000 years, 100,000 years, and looks at the final results, what would happen. And he finds that he will, have, uh, he will have people who will do the right thing. You know, that if I have this number of people who do the right thing, this will be the result. So, okay, I'll get them. Amen? Now, the other people, is not him who makes them do it. He will now point out to them that if you don't do this, this is what will happen. Then he will give you warning. And then he said, on top of all of that, you know what? To make everything just and fair, I will go down and I will die for them. I will go down to the earth and I will suffer so that I can credit my sufferings to their account. So that way nobody will not have, his, no, nobody will have an excuse to say, well, if you knew we were going to do it, why did you do this? I, I paid the price. So he now called Jesus a lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. A clap offering for the Lord. Oh, you didn't do it properly. Oh. I don't think you appreciated what the man did. Hallelujah. Stop. Everybody stop, 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 stop. Clap offering for God the Father first. Stop. Clap offering for God the Son. Clap offering for God the Holy Spirit. Sit down. 
I want you to understand something. All the three of them were intricately involved. Every person had his own part. And every person had his own um, risks. But the person that had the greatest risk was Jesus. Because of all the three of them, he was the one who became man. And who could have been, but it didn't happen. Trapped here. That's why on the cross he said, My God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? Into thy hands I commit my spirit. I'm going down. Don't keep, don't let me stay there. I will not leave thy soul in hell. Neither will I suffer thy holy one to see corruption. Another clap offering for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We believe these words have empowered you to live a victorious, transcendent life in Christ. Our mission is to equip God's people for service and build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. We encourage you to enjoy and share from thousands of resources, including books, sermons, prophecies, and articles available on our website, spcconline.org. Thank you, and God bless you.